0: So uh, Cinderella's Closet, we had uh, 370 dresses donated, uh, 200 people came through the door and they gave 75 dresses away. If you don't, if you don't know what Cinderella's Closet is, it's this, it's this community outreach event that was, it was actually started by one of the kids' orchid uh, academy. And we got involved with it, and this year we got a whole bunch of dresses donated. We opened it up to Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo County, and prom's really expensive, and there's some girls who can't go or can't afford a dress, you know, because that. And so we got old prom dresses, bridesmaids dresses, got them all together, and let them go shopping for free to pick up dresses, and they get them tailored and all that. So it was great. So 75 girls walked out with dresses, which is awesome, and 200 families were blessed. So there you go. What was it? So 370 dresses, 200 families... 75 dresses handed out, and one Harlem Shake. So welcome to Element if you're new. <laughs> there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all the questions that go along with the message today. Uh, two things to tell you about before we begin. Number one is Friday night. If you have a high school student, they are doing an all-nighter party. I told James, like Jesus would have, that he's an idiot. I have done all-nighters. And he goes, no, no, no. We're going to have like Red Bull and sugar. I'm like, you, 3 a.m., every single high school kid's going to be like, I hate you. I'm going to tear your head off. He has no, and they, no, no, it'll be great. I swear, next Sunday he's going to be like, Aaron, you're so right. I'm going to be like, that's right, that's right. No one believes me, no one believes me. All-nighters are from the pit of hell. They were, they were thought up by the devil. And high school kids. Uh, okay, so we are doing our Good Friday service uh, at 11 p.m. on Good Friday, which is March 29th. We do it on purpose because we couldn't fit all of you and the other services all in the same room together no matter how hard we tried. So we're going to weed some of you out like that, and it also has a purpose to what we're doing. So 11 p.m., and then we're actually going to do an Easter service at 6 p.m. on Saturday. Some of you are probably like, ah, it's Easter. I've got to go to church on Easter Sunday. Well, okay, great. Then go to church. But if you're so inclined, come Saturday night at, at 6 o'clock. I guarantee you'll find a seat. It'll be okay. And then you can even come and volunteer with the kids or greet or do something that helps out all the extra people that come to church on Easter. So, (laughs) helping the kids. Seriously, it's one day. Even if it's like a youth all-nighter poured into one hour, you're going to be okay on the backside. All right? You can go home, drink your smoothie or whatever else to get you over it. Red Bull. Red Bull and figure it out step up serve go see Christy tell your help out on Easter and none of you are going to do it just like you're not memorizing verses how dare you let these kids beat us just walk back there and say Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth bam if y'all did that we I am sleepy alright stay with me to read in God's word that is the least of what's coming at you this morning, by the way. Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people would understand your grace and your goodness, that no matter where we've been or what we've done, you call us into a glorious future. And we would trust you for that. Amen. Have a seat. Apparently someone's going to Hawaii. <laughs> this is Genesis. We're week 58. Uh, We're just a couple months from the end. And here's my warning. I started last week. I'll give you a few warnings as we go. Uh, this is one of those stories that's in the Bible, but we do not put it in the coloring book. It is not in the passion play. We don't have all the kids get together and go, ooh, let's act out Genesis 38 as a we don't do that. I have no idea how Christy is relating this to the kids this morning. She's doing a review. Nice, nice. One of the reasons that we consider today's narrative authentic and ancient is that most people in later times, they would have changed it or they would have made it okay or somehow pious, but it's not. It's in the Bible, but it's not showing you the Bible is one of the most honest books that have ever been written. Uh, Again, this is one of the things you don't do, even though it's in The Bible. So we're going to get started if you have no idea what I'm talking about, and we'll just deal with it. Uh, Genesis is considered the book of beginnings. A lot of people call Revelation the book of endings. I don't think so. I think it's all continuation. But Revelation chapter 5 calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. Christians today, we call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus is identified with Judah. So Judah has to be a good guy, right? No, he is a terrible, vile, evil man. He is the fourth generation of this crazy redneck family with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you get Judah. He is the one who convinces his brothers to sell his other brother Joseph into slavery so they can make a buck. He is a failure as a son because he lies and he tells his dad, no, Joseph is dead. And he's a failure as a brother because he sells his brother. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says slave trading is one of the worst of sins. And today you'll see Judah fail as a husband, as a father, and as a believer. Yes, but Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. It's amazing how that all kind of works out. So open your Bibles to Genesis 38, and you're probably thinking, what happened to Joseph? We just left Joseph. You know, and now, we're in jo- what? you're in America, you should be able to handle that, all right? Because it happens to you at the end of every television season. So that you're left on a cliffhanger, you'll be okay, suspension, tension. Next week, we'll be back with Joseph. Genesis 38, verse 1. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hurrah. So uh, probably Judah and his brothers, they're arguing. They're probably very angry that their dad is as sad as he is. They might want to come clean. And Judah's probably like, no, we're not coming clean. We'll get in trouble. And so he leaves the accountability of his family and moves down somewhere else. A lot of family strife there. And you'll see Judah go from uh, Adullam to Shezeb or Hezeb to Timnah to Anam. And Actually, 400 years later, when they, Israelites possessed possess the promised land, all of those places end up being part of the tribe of Judah, which I think is really interesting. And so Judah leaves his family, he goes and he finds this friend whose name was Hurrah. So you know this guy likes to party when his name is Hurrah, don't name your kids Hurrah, right? So Judah's probably a little upset with himself. He's going to drink and party, make some trouble. He probably is at this point binging all night, has no use for his pants. He spends half his time puking into the toilet, the other half the time refilling with drinks to drop off in the toilet. And he's got his, he's got his party, buddy going, woo the whole time, yeah, you can drink more. Of that, it's like hazing, but, but not. And some of you guys probably have friends like this, right? you got your Christian friends, and then your non-Christian drinking buddies you hang out with, and you want to do something stupid, and no one's going to hold you accountable. Your drinking buddies are awful, and they're evil, and you love them because you want to disobey Jesus. They are pro. They are all for it. When you hang out with them, you get all your best videos for YouTube and Tosh.0 and America's Funniest Home Videos. You have some friends that are Christians that say, hey, we probably shouldn't do that because it's wrong. And you have these guys who are like, that's wrong, we should do it twice. And I'll get my video camera the second time because it'll be better the second time. So Judah's not in a good spot in his life. Verse 2 There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Now, in our vernacular, is Shua a believer or a non believer? She's a non believer. So is her daughter a believer or a non believer? Probably a non-believer. And Genesis doesn't even give her name. It gives her mom's name but not hers because they saw marriages to Canaanite women as a terrible thing. So they don't even give her name. So it's kind of like this. Judah moved to Santa Barbara, drank crappy light beer, meets a chick from Isla Vista going to UCSB and moves in with her. And they don't love or know God or follow him. That's, that's how it starts. He took her and went into her. That means what you think it means. And she conceived and bore a son and he... Most manuscripts actually say she, and he called his name Ur. And this is totally prophetic because this kid is a big mistake. Verse 4, she conceived and bore a, she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And again, I apologize to you in advance for when we talk about Onan. You may want to leave now, and if you don't, it's on you. Nobody? All right. Verse 5. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name O Sheila. I know, this kid probably got beat up in school. Or he became a really good fighter, one or the other, okay? <laughs> Judah was in Shizeb when she bore him. So he gets married, turns back on his God, leaves his family, moves to an ungodly area, gets a town home, has three kids. But just like the rest of Scripture, it's God is going to bring him back again. God's not done with Judah. But it also looks like he turns his back on his family as well because he's somewhere else. He's in another city when his kids are born. He doesn't name them, so he uses his wife for sex. He doesn't raise his kids. She is the one who names them. The only thing he seems to do is what was culturally responsible, and that is finding a wife for his son. Verse 6, and Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. We're going to talk about her more in just a bit, but she's probably also a Canaanite. Uh, her name means a palm tree. It's only found uh, in, the, in the Bible in King David's family line. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now what? what does that mean in the Hebrew? It means God killed him. That's what it means in the, in, in the Hebrew. Why? He was wicked. That means evil. Some rabbinic commentators believe he refused to either consummate the marriage or have children with her. So It, it can be anything. You know, he could have been driving down the road, listening to country music, and God said, that's it. <laughs> Boom. You're gone. It's all speculation. We, we don't know. We don't know, okay? But i got a good indication. No, I'm just kidding. You know. And, and, and you gotta, you gotta talk about this because sometimes you go to churches and they're all fluffy and nice and some people have a terrible view of God like Oprah. God is all roses and flowers and wears hippie glasses and he's like, you know, the great fairy godmother in the sky. Oh, we love the fairy godmother hippie Jesus. That's who we like. At Element, we want to show you the real God. Yes, God is love, but love is not God. Okay, God is more than that and we must be a people who deal with the real God and yes He killed someone a whole lot of someone's if you look at the flood We've all got an expiration date at the flood. God just called it all in at the same time And some people say well, what gives him the right? He's God. He made you he owns you He can call it whenever he wants to Whenever he wants to. And you got to get that. And some people look at that and they say, well, that's the Old Testament God. That's his junior high years. He just he'd grown up a little bit. He's all emotional, you know, hopped up on those pheromones, whatever he's got going on. Now he's Jesus. He's like, well, no. You know, God kills people in the New Testament too. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to God about giving and they die. In Acts 5, you know what it says? It says, great fear seized the whole church. You bet your butt it did. Holy cow. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, people died while taking communion without repenting of sin. Imagine you're a dude sleeping with your girlfriend and you go, let's take communion. You're stepping over the bodies of your drinking buddies. It's like, what happened to them? Oh, they didn't repent. Maybe we should sit back down. (laughs) If You're thinking that, right? God says, you know, sometimes you won't stop sinning and and, and I'll stop you. I think there are scary parts in the Bible for a purpose. You know why? To scare you. Not into believing, but into examination of our lives. Our God has stopped evil people. And then we're supposed to go, but wait, I'm evil. Yes, you are. That's why our lives are grace. And many things I say can sound terrible, and I'm not going to apologize for it, but sometimes I think it is okay to pray to God to stop people. And that means what you think it means. I have prayed for God to stop people who would not stop hurting other people. I have prayed for the repentance, for the salvation, but I said, God, if they will not stop, I ask you to be the one to stop them. And I prayed for it. Some people are never going to change. Sometimes God says, you're done. Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You bet your butt it is. It is. If we repeatedly mock the goodness and the grace of God, we can die in our sins. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And two people don't even know and they don't even care and they won't wake up. We must learn to take sin as seriously as God takes sin. And I don't know what this kid did, but God knew his heart. He's not going to change. And the real God is a God we must respect and deal with because we take ourselves way too seriously. We're like, oh, you offended me. How dare you? You must apologize. We sin against God. We're like, yeah, it's no big deal. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Whatever. And we go on with it. We must take sin as seriously as God does and knock it off. For er, it's too late. You have time. Lucky you. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, Go unto your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Here's the custom. If a man marries a woman and the man dies and he has a brother, the brother was supposed to go in and have a child with that woman so that she could raise a son in that brother's name, or in, in her husband who died's name. Okay? Now, a lot of commentators read this and they think that you know this is a terrible and disgusting concept. Actually, you shouldn't be disgusted by it. What they did is they're taking care and looking after a woman's safety. If your husband died in this culture and you weren't a virgin, you couldn't get remarried. And so in this, you would, you'd have to then start to resort to prostitution. And so you're supposed to take you know, your brother's wife into your house. She has a baby. And then that baby is raised as your brothers. And I'll tell you, our culture can't judge things like this. The average kid today loses their virginity at 16 years old. The average woman gets married at 25. The average man at 27. So 10 years of having sex before marriage. 45% of women today who are in their 20s will have an abortion by age 45. Women today will carry mace and guns just to walk to their car. Our culture does not value purity, integrity, and safety of women. So Judas says to to his one son, Hey, your brother killed, uh, or God killed your brother. Go take care of your sister-in-law. What does Onan do? Verse 9. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. And this isn't, Oh, poor Onan. It's not going to be his. That's not what that means. What it means is that he's not going to share his inheritance. He doesn't want to give anything away. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste his semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And I know you're never thought to ask the question, When are we talking about semen at church? Oh crap, I brought my mom. What am I going to do? She had you, she know what it is. She'll get over it. <laughs> Don't send me hate mail. Send the Bible. I'll be okay. Verse 11, and what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Now Christian's are like, "We we can't talk about that. You better talk about stuff like that." I I'm going to clear up the whole idea of what Onan is and what's going on, because there's all kinds of stuff in this. In America today, we spend more money on pornography than music and movies combined. 30% of all emails that are sent are pornographic in nature. And I'm sorry, and I warned you up front about this. If you go to a lot of Catholic churches or fundamentalist churches, they will say that onan sin is the sin of masturbation. Oh, don't be a masturbator like, like Onan. This is not about masturbation. If it is, it's the weirdest form I've ever seen. Or red, because I didn't see it. I mean, or, you, know, you know, you know what I mean. You know, there's no verses in the Bible for or against masturbation. Even Ecclesiastes nine ten. whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's not about masturbation. I warned you. So what's Elman's position, okay? What's Elman's position on this? If you're a guy and you're freaked out, come and talk to us. We'll hang out to a guy, not a girl, and we'll talk to you about it. It's okay. you freaked out, whatever. Elements' position is this. The Bible calls lust a sin. That is way more encompassing than masturbation, okay? It encompasses a whole lot of stuff, and I'll stop talking about it because some of you are like, stop talking about it. I can't take it anymore. And, you know, and if you were brand new this morning, all you probably heard me say is that God kills people, stop masturbating, and you're never coming back. But you have to hear what this is about. This text is about a man wanting to have sex without responsibility. That's what the text is about. It's not about birth control, it's not about masturbation. And you know, guys that want to have sex without responsibility, or oh, they're guys like that, yes, the breathing ones. Okay, so you gotta deal with that. This dusty old book seems very contemporary today. There are three related things in the scripture: marriage, sex, and children. In that order. They go together. Our society lives like Onan. And girls, if you are dating a guy, and he says, oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and he wants to go to bed with you before he marries you, he doesn't really love Jesus. And I don't know if he really loves you. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what he says. He's a liar. He wants the benefits without the responsibility of marriage. And if you're going to go out on a date, don't date Onan. So God's tired of it, kills him. If you're Onan, you better stop. So Judah, Judah's now a little bit afraid. You know, he's got to give his, his job, give my next son, Oo, Sheila, to Tamar. You know, but his other two boys are wicked, and, and they got killed, so he's worried about throwing another one in there. But it's not Tamar's fault. It's Judah's for being a bad dad. Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Sheila, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. He's like, go live with your dad, and then wait. And, and I think Judah knows o oh, oh, sheila is not a very good boy either. I think he knows he's got lots of issues. So you know what Judah should do? Raise him. You know, spend some time with him, mentor him, smack him on the butt when he needs to. That's what he needs to do. It might actually help. And even though Tamar goes back to live in her father's house, she's not free to remarry, even if some guy did like her. She is now connected to Judah's family. So it's like a prison sentence. And so Tamar waits years, nothing happens. Verse 12, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter, again, still will not name her. She died. So now Judah is a man with no wife. Tamar is a woman with no husband. See where it's going? When Judah was comforted, meaning he gets over his grief, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. He and his friend Harad the Edomite. So sheep shearing season, they're making all kinds of money, and they're selling their wool, so they got just cash is flowing, and it's like Mardi Gras. It's a big party. You show up, I want some beads. That's, that's what happened. You have to understand the culture. And the best way to do it is related to the culture you live in. Thank you. Okay, so that's what's happening. So he gets his non-Christian drinking party, buddy. Let's go to Mardi Gras. And they go to town. Verse 13. When Tamar was told your father-in-law is going up to Timah to shear his sheep, she's like, what? No, he didn't. She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with the veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to a name which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. She takes matters into her own hands. She's like Eve and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. It just keeps happening. Judah is not a good leader of his home. And then also Tamar jumps in. Sin happens on both sides. And But Judah lied. He said, oh, when well, my son's old enough, I'll give him to you. And he didn't do that. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. In cultural context, again, what this means is she dresses like a whore. Now, girls, you have all kinds of clothes you can buy at the store. you got church clothes and work clothes and the club clothes. And don't be offended at me, but seriously, are there certain clothes that certain girls will wear at certain times that say certain things? Like, hey, I'm available. Hey, I'm easy. Yes? Yes. All right. Just throwing it out there. That's what this is, how she dresses like. And so, but in really what follows, I think if Judah would have just done the right thing, Tamar would have had a child. She would have been married. There would be none of this desperation. No little girl hopes when they grow up, that, oh, I'm going to grow up to be a hooker. That's what I want to be. No little girl does that. I think they got the wrong daddy. Verse 16, he turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you, which means what you think it means. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. He wants to use her for sex. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. A goat? Sweet! Man! All yours. All yours. I know, I know today a lot of girls go for like a like beer and a hamburger or something, you know, but she's a goat girl. Goat's a lot of money in this culture, by the way, just letting let you know, right? And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, which means he doesn't have the goat on him. He's like, how about a goat? It's not in his pocket. It doesn't have the cash. So so she's like, you know, give me something. And he said, "What what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil she put on the garments of her widowhood. She's like, leave me your driver's license and your passport. She ends up getting pregnant. She puts back on her widow's clothes. She doesn't tell anybody what's going on. Verse 20, when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at a a name at the roadside? Cult prostitute means shrine prostitute. It's like a high-end hooker. And the best way I can say without trying to offend you is that you got to pay a lot of money for the ones that are presentable in public. And that's what that looks like. Ever seen Firefly, the show? Okay. All right. Me and the five of you. We're good. Okay. And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. It's like, let's not tell anybody, because 4,000 years from now in Santa Maria, they might make fun of us. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. The moral is you can't hide your sin forever. It gets found out. I mean, some of us work so hard to cover our sin, like, oh, it'll make us look bad. You are bad. Okay? Just own up to it and get it out in front of you before it gets in front and takes over you. Judas says this You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. He makes it noble. I tried to pay her, I tried to give her a tip. It was a really nice goat. I don't know. Even the picture, he's not really a good guy. Not the guy you want marrying your daughter. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Meaning she's had sex with somebody. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Maybe he is a Christian. (laughs) Because you only get this rare hypocrisy in the church. Or government. I mean, the government's like, work hard, make money. And you make money, and they're like, hey, you made money. We're taking it. You're terrible. What do I do? This, this, this is the deal. He's like, she's a whore. Kill her. I mean, the, by the way, he's probably doing a bachelor party for his son, Oshila. Who's bringing the strippers? You know, I, Jesus calls this plank speck where your, your neighbor has like a piece of dirt in their eye. And you've got a telephone pole hanging out of yours. You're like, ah, take that out of your eyeball. This is what he's doing. It's, it's terrible. Jesus says, judge yourself before you start judging other people. Get your own life square. Judah's a total hypocrite. As she was being brought out, she sent, you just want to see how the story ends, right? As she's being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, she's subtle and she's smart, by the man to whom these belong, am I pregnant? And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And apparently he's got a very short memory because it's like, you know, and so he sees them, you know, getting ready. Here's the manila envelope, driver's license, passport. <gasps> oh, snap. Must be my kids. Great. I mean, how many people today, their worst fear is actually getting caught, right? We just don't want to get caught. And we always say, my sin's not that bad. Then why do we try and hide it if it's not that bad? We are always trying to hide it. Maybe you're gossiping about somebody, right? And it's like, oh, I'm not gossiping. Then they're standing right behind you, and you're like, Oh. I guess I was gossiping. You know, maybe you've got, you got a problem with pornography on the Internet, and your wife is looking for baking recipes, and he hits B for the word baking recipes, and Google decides to help him out and types in the word boobs for him. You're like, oh, snap, I'm sorry, that was, that, was, that was awful. Maybe you lie, someone catches you in the lie. You know the best way not have to worry about getting caught? Stop doing it. Stop doing it. And if you do get caught, you just put it out there, you deal with it, you don't lie and lie and lie to cover it up. Because this next verse is key to why the story is in the scriptures. Verse 26, then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. Now, it's not really even saying a whole lot. Uh, in Deutsch, the, the Old Testament uh, commentators, actually called Tamar a saint. That is not the t-shirt I would give her to wear around. All right, He says, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, O And he did not know her again. This means have sex with her. And this is the life change moment in Judah. He becomes broken. And broken is where God puts us back together again. He realizes his sin, what he has done, his hypocrisy, where he has been in his life. And the next time you see Judah in the scriptures, he is a totally different guy. He actually, from this point, he will move back home to his family again. Not like in, in the house, but you know, he lives near his family, so there's accountability again. But hopefully at this point, you can all agree, we can all agree, right? Judah is not a good guy. He sells his brother, lies to his dad, marries a non-Christian, moves from godly accountability, gets a strip poker buddy, raises ungodly sons, has sex with a prostitute, and then wants to kill her because she's the dirty one. I mean, he is not a good guy. That's an evil guy. But he finally recognizes his hypocrisy and his sin. And I think this is why it's in the scriptures. This is, where he, this is where we would say he got saved. This is where God grabs a hold of his heart and goes, that is you. That is you. And he takes responsibility at this moment. He doesn't try and lie and pawn it off. He doesn't blame Tamar. Oh, she was hot. I couldn't help it. Oh, the mouse clicked there. I, I didn't really do that. He doesn't deny it. Oh, I didn't have sex with that woman. You know, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't pull a Clinton. He takes the blame for what happened. He says, she is a better person than me. If anyone should be killed, it should be me. And we've got to understand, in the whole idea of of salvation, this is where hope comes from, where two things go together. Number one, confession. Confession. This is where we agree with God. Yes, that thing was wrong that I did, and I named it, and and I'm sorry. And the second thing in this is repentance. And this is where you don't do it anymore. You stop. Christians, today we are experts at confession, but not repentance. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, and I just did it again. Oh, I'm really sorry. I feel guilty. Oh, and I did it. Oh, no, I'm really sorry this time. I swear I never do it again. Oh, and I'm doing it again. That's how we live our lives. We need honesty for naming the sin, the confession, so you're honest in that. But you also need life change so you don't do it again. It says this, and he did not know her, meaning sleep with her again. That's repentance he takes care of her the rest of his life he raises these boys but he doesn't sin with her again he said yes i sinned the rest of his life he never puts his hand on her again that's repentance if you're a guy in this room and you're screwing around with your girlfriend you're like oh i'm so sorry you do it again oh i'm so sorry you do it again repentance means you knock it off till you walk an aisle and put a ring on her finger if you're if you're at a job and you're stealing crap from your job it means you don't know, just say oh i'm sorry for am crap it means you put it back you pay for the things that you stole we need to be as honest about our sin as judah became about his sin she is more righteous than i and what i'm not telling you is oh just figure it out and buy your own bootstraps that's that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is you name it and then you deal with it and what and what judah does again is he moves back to where his family was after this and he's in a place where there's actually accountability in his life And you'll see how this all begins to work out, but it's like a month away. So sorry, we'll we'll get there uh, eventually. You know what gets in the way of our spiritual progress is sin. We are constantly doing it, and it's constantly ripping us to pieces. And again, this is the life-changing moment for Judah. Verse 27, when the time of her, that's Tamar's labor, came, there were twins in her womb. And sometimes when I read this, so Judah's going to get two boys to replace the two that died, I, I think, why didn't God just kill Judah? You know, he's he's a God of miracles. He could have given Jacob another son, but he doesn't. I, God's God, okay? And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first, as he drew back, Back inside, behold, his brother came out and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Later in the Hebrew, it says his name was called or he called his name. Perez meaning Judah was there and Judah named and he raised these boys. It says uh, afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. Literally, he called his name, meaning he, he named his son. He was there. There is a complete difference in Judah's life after repentance. And these two boys kind of come out like Jacob and Esau. They're always fighting. You know, I'm going to take you out. You know, hand comes out, goes back in. And mom's like, no, no, that's the wrong way. <laughs> Forward, not, not backwards. And, and God blesses Judah in this moment. Now... If I, if I said to you, you know, you had no idea about Judah's story, maybe the first time you ever heard it and read it, yeah, okay, we're looking at Judah, you know, the ancestor of Jesus, the you know, lion of the tribe of Judah, you would think anything but this. I mean, you thought his daddy was bad, right? This is just crazy stuff. And the point is, no matter how bad you are, no matter where you've been, God can start there and then use you to change the entire world. See, we need to identify with people like Judah. And say, thank you, God, for not taking me out, for actually offering me grace. You know, I have been evil in my life, and I'm sorry that you have given me grace, and I'm going to walk into a glorious future. We can identify with Tamar. Maybe you come from a non-Christian family, and maybe you, you met somebody, you married into a Christian family, and you're like, these people are just jacked up. Welcome to Judah's family. I mean, it's just like that. Why does Tamar hang in there? Because I think she really wants to know the real God. The story shows that there is room in the family of God for the worst of us. You get all the way into the New Testament. First book, Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Would you look at that? Jesus' family tree includes Judah and Tamar and Perez. He takes the worst of us and can turn around and use it for his good. This is where we get hope. Yes, we should feel bad when we sin. We should feel bad for it and repent and then move into life. We don't sit there and just wallow in it the rest of our lives. We move into the life God intends for us to live. Judah is messed up. He repents. Tamar is messed up. She repents. And through that line comes Jesus. You can either have God come and start pointing out your sin, or you can just simply confess it. And you repent and you change and you live a life that is changed. And all of that stuff in your past, the blood of Christ shed on the cross of Calvary will cover it for all of eternity. And Jesus will do for you what he did for Judah. And your life can have purpose. You can live a life the way it was meant to be lived. And the trueness and fullness of life. Your past does not need to define you. You should be defined by the glorious future that God has for you. And we walk and step into that because of what He has done for us through confession and repentance and honoring who He is. This is one of the reasons every week we talk about communion. Because communion is a place where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it reminds us of His blood that was shed for you and I. So that we are a people who understand we've been forgiven and that blood shed on that cross covers us for eternity and our past is that. It is past. Now, it can still help and make you into a better person, hopefully. The things you've been through help other people through stuff. But the past doesn't define you. Christ's amazing, saving grace is what defines us. And that's what you must remember. The band's going to come up. They're going to do a couple songs. uh, And as they do, we invite you to take communion. You know, Again, remembering what Christ has done and continues to do every day in our lives. Uh, There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer... Uh, maybe you're in some, some stuck place in your life and you just feel like you can't get out of it and you don't know what to do and you keep going back to it, but you want to get past it. Well, go and pray with them. You know, they, we can probably help get you, you know, some accountability around you, plug you into a gospel community and start helping you work the direction you, you need to go in that. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. Uh, we give because God gave so much to us. Giving that is simply part of our worship, so you have that opportunity every week. And there's food and stuff in the back. And I tell you, every week, the reason the food is there is so you guys will grab something to eat, you know, meet somebody else, and then hopefully maybe you can go today and ask yourself some questions on the, on the back of the, of the sermon notes and, and, and talk about this. Because, again, Judah is a guy. He went back home. He moved to a place where there was accountability again in his life. And that's part of what gospel communities are, and that's what fellowship in the church is supposed to be so we can hold each other up. Because when things get hard and tough, you know, yes, Jesus saves us, but he puts people around us so we can walk this life with him to help us keep going the same direction. I, I have friends that, that I call on, some on a daily, some on a weekly basis, because they ask me to. I need you to check up on me and see where I'm at and what I'm doing, and so I do it. Because they realize, you know, and, that's, and that's brothers helping brothers and sisters helping sisters and, and moving the direction that God calls us to as a family. In the idea of confession and repentance where the blood of Christ still covers everything for all of eternity. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God is calling you and I to be his people. And so we live that way. I mean, look at his life. I mean, if you met this guy, you'd be like, you're not hanging out with my kids <laughs> crazy dude and yet he is a guy who becomes a patriarch of the faith god can use anybody god can use you he can use you let's pray part of this morning i think that you are a god who redeems everything everything even the things that we think are so beyond you can still come in and change things and so today I ask that you would grab a hold of our hearts and change us in the ways that we need to be changed. That we would not be a people who think we have it all together. And that we would think that when, we, when someone offends us, they need to come and, you know, and beg us for forgiveness. We need to be people who understand that you have forgiven us, past tense, forgiven us. And that we need to be a people who live in that grace of forgiveness as well. Father, we quite frankly do not deserve the grace and the love that you have given us. And yet you still give it anyway. So have us be those who learn how to give it as well. To live lives understanding that, that the confession and repentance is not what saves us. It's you that saves us. But in the midst of our lives there are a lot of things that we should probably confess to each other and repent of before you when you point them out, we we take them to heart and we change so we can grow so our lives honor you more and more and more. That our lives are not about the little idols and the little sins that we place in them, but our lives become centered around the person of you. Because when our focus and our mindset becomes you, everything else begins to fall in line. Everything else begins to change. Have us lift our brothers and sisters up in all the ways that we need to. Have us not just look for superficial friendships where we hope everything's okay and we never have to deal with anything. But we step into hard places and deal with hard things because you call us to walk this road together. So today, like you always do, soften our hearts more and more to the calling you have placed within us. So we glorify you in all things. Thank you for being our glorious future and our glorious hope. And that our past doesn't have to be who we are. But being your child is. Teach us to walk and live in that. Amen.